I've got a confession to make. I'm one of life's competitive types. Now, some of you are like, great, great, me too. And some of you are like, oh no, not one of those. Because uh, I've already made enemies in the room as you think, oh, is he, is he gonna try and win at all costs? Is he gonna trample other people? And I'm trying to learn and grow and be a nicer human being. So I'm trying to avoid that kind of thing. But basically, anything you want me to do, uh, make something happen, then put a competition into it and I'll do it. So, uh, you know, maybe the tax returns, some of you might need to do some of those, who knows? Uh, I, I can never do it. But if somebody comes up afterwards and says, I bet I can do mine faster than yours, then I'm up for it and I'll get it done because I love the competition. I think I've actually passed it on to my son, my four-year-old boy, who um, seems to not be able to listen to us when it's bath time or things to get done, and uh, unless I make it a competition. And I'll just say, Sam, I bet I can get in the bath faster than you. And you, that four-year-old gets in the bath faster than you've ever seen any four-year-old get in the bath. I've got no intention of getting in there, but the competition made it happen. So that's how it works sometimes. And so I'm a, I love races. I love kind of entering things where, uh, you know, I can express that competitive stuff, a little bit of sport here and there. And uh, there was a race that I went into a few years back. In fact, uh, it was a kind of, it not, it's not a well-known one. It's really amongst a bunch of friends down in Cornwall, where I used to go on holiday most of my time. And uh, I love Cornwall. And down in Cornwall, there's this little bay just near where my mum lives. And, um, and there are five beaches around the bay. And they're all connected by the Cornish coastal path. And so you can go to one beach, walk along the path and up the cliff and then to the next beach and the next beach. So this race, which became called the challenge, was all about swimming at each beach, jumping out of the water, having done two strokes, that constitutes a swim, and then you run up the beach along the coastal path to the next beach, have another swim and keep going and keep going and keep going. So the challenge race has happened many times. And one of the twists of the challenge race is that you have to do it at night time. No torches, and the Cornish coast is not known for its street lighting. So it's hard, it's not easy. And so there was one particular occasion I was in the challenge, and um, I, I had a number of friends who were also racing as well, and I was determined to win. The competitive Pete was emerging, and I was going to make this thing happen, and um, as we got to the third beach, I was in second place, which was not bad. I'd like, I actually preferred to be there because I can then judge how much I've got to do to try and win it. And so there I am, second place, and my friend Gaz was about 20 meters ahead of me. And, uh, and he got to the third beach, had his swim, got out of the water. I was just getting out of the water 20 meters behind him. At the top of the third beach was a wall. And you had to go through this narrow gap in the wall in order to access the coastal path to carry on to the next beach. And so Gaz ran at full speed at what he thought was the opening in the wall. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Right next to that opening in the wall was a dark patch on the wall, and he went at top speed and ran right into it. He bounced back a good few meters and landed on his back, and I was just a few meters behind, and I, I kind of saw in the gloom everything that happened, and Gaz um, groaning as he went to the floor. Now, of course, as a good Christian who is now a vicar, I let the competition get to me, and I didn't stop. <laughs> Some people are shocked. I'm so sorry. We've got ministry for that afterwards. Okay, so, so I just ran on. I was like, Gaz, I'll get you later. And he's like, oh. Um, amazingly, actually, nobody else in the race stopped for me either. So I, I won the race. Everyone else came in. And about half an hour later, Gaz stumbles to the finish line with cuts and bruises, and he's been hurt. And uh, so he made it in the end, and I knew he would, which is why I didn't stop. So he went for it. Now, one of the great things is that the, the vantage for me was that because Gaz ran right in the direction that he shouldn't have gone and hit the wall, I could see where the real gap was. So that was my advantage, wasn't it? 
<laughs> a little bit mean, I'm sorry. But you know, when you know when you're running, when you know where you're going, you can run with greater pace and purpose, can't you? If you can define this is the direction to go, then you're able to run in that way. If you don't know where the, where the direction is, or for some reason it's obscured because you can't quite see, or you don't even know where it is the destination is you're trying to get to, you're going to struggle to run with purpose. The greater clarity you have about the purpose, the stronger the vision can be, and you can run faster. And actually, all of us need that in our lives, don't we? Whether you're in a work position where you might even have a team and leading some people, or whether you're in the home or just with your friends and your neighbours, actually, if you have a clarity about purpose, you can run with that purpose, and then you'll define a path that other people can follow too. They'll see it in you. They'll see that purpose. They'll see there's something about you that they can follow. And the clearer you can run it, the clearer they can follow. Some of us here today may feel like Life's a bit gloomy. Don't quite know where it is. Some of you may feel that, actually, I, I've run quite hard in the past, Pete, and I've hit a few brick walls, and it hurt. I'm not sure if I can get up and get to the finish line. We're in all those positions, aren't we? But what we're going to read today from Scripture, I think, is a call from Jesus to purpose. Something he wants to breathe over us by the power of his Spirit. Something he wants to ignite in your heart. A purpose that you can run hard after. So let's have a little look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Put it up on your device, or there's Bibles in the back of chairs, and of course it'll come up on the screen as well. Let me read it to us as we go through it. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So if you want greater clarity, one of the things that you can develop is a personal leadership impact statement. Some of you working in companies or charities or different situations, or maybe a school where you have a clear vision statement. It's like, this is what we're trying to make happen. Um, some of us may not be in that context, but you can develop your own personal leadership impact, almost like a vision, a purpose, a statement over how you want to be. Because here's the reality. Every single one of us makes a difference when we walk into the room. Every single one of us. You may think, no, 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 I don't have you know, real clarity on my purpose, or I'm not a leader or an influencer, or, or I just try and stay in the background. But do you know what? Even by staying in the background, you influence that room. You perhaps don't bring the gift that maybe even God would want you to bring into that space. Perhaps you influence the atmosphere by being reserved. And so we can't escape the reality that every room we walk into, we have an impact in. And so the clearer we become about that impact we want to make when we walk into a space the more we can run towards it. And so there's a, a way of developing your leadership impact statement that we could do and develop and coach, but uh, my personal one, um, at the moment, it may change, is this. I'm gonna let you in again on a little bit of my life. I want to be, and I'm not always, an optimistic visionary who calls the best out of every person in the room. I've worked carefully at every word, I've tried to shape that sentence, and it reflects something of my personality, who I am, how I operate, and it helps me to be sharper about what I want to bring. I am definitely an optimistic visionary. And again, uh, my wife Sarah might tell you that it's actually not always helpful because I think we can do more than we can actually do. So sometimes I take on too much and I'm aware of that. 
But when I walk into a room, I want to be a visionary optimistic. I want to bring life and, and breathe possibility, speak about what could be, interested in what, how the future could look. That's a visionary. But I want to do that in such a way where I call the best out of every person in the room. I want to mine for gold. I'm interested in people. It's part of who I am. And I don't want to just find out about people who might seem important or influential in the room. I want to know everybody. I want to, I want to, I want to make sure that my antenna is up to, to see the people who perhaps don't speak so much or who do stay at the back, who have got gold to bring, but maybe not the confidence to bring it. And so I want to bring that. And so can you imagine how that leadership impact statement changes the way I walk into a room? Now, as I say, some days it's hard and even before I've got out of the house in the morning, it feels like it's been too difficult to even get going with the day. But on the better days, and particularly when I think about that impact statement, I can stand at the door of a room and I can step through and go, this is what I want to be. This is what I need to bring. This is not, I know I can breathe as I've explored what the gifts are that God's given me, how I can step forwards and bring the best of myself into a space. And you can imagine that, that when I step into that room, something comes. And each and every one of you have got a leadership impact statement. It's not the same as mine. It'll be something very different, but it's precious and it's good. In fact, it's God breathed and he wants you to step into it. But we can also have general leadership impact statements. And from these verses in Matthew today, I believe that Jesus would commission us to a particular leadership impact statement. So even if you're not very clear about where you're running, by the end of this little talk, I hope there might be some clarity on what it is you could bring. Whether you're already following Jesus or whether perhaps you're exploring that or you're here at church for the first time and you're thinking, well, what is this? What's this look like? Do you know what? I believe that God has got a purpose for you, that God wants to breathe life into you and life in all its fullness. And as he does that, and maybe you respond to him, he can give you purpose in a whole new way. So what is the purpose? Well, here's the impact statement that we draw out of Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. To be a kingdom a compassionate kingdom character, a carrier sent out to harvest. A compassionate kingdom carrier sent out to harvest. Okay, let's break that down because you may think, well, what does that mean? What's that look like? So what does it mean to be a kingdom carrier? A kingdom carrier. Right there in verse 35, we see Jesus modeling what it means to be a kingdom carrier. It says right there in, in the scripture, it says that Jesus went throughout the region and he proclaimed good news and then he healed those who were sick and had illness. He spoke words of life and encouragement and healed their diseases. So he proclaimed good news and he demonstrated good news. That's what it looked like for him to be a kingdom carrier. We were just singing, weren't we? We wanna see your kingdom here. We wanna see your kingdom break out. We were singing that sense of God, send your revival. And what we're singing is, God, would you breathe life and bring your kingdom, bring health and wholeness, bring the miraculous and proclaim your good news. All of us, can carry the good news of Jesus. It's, it can be spoken about in so many ways, but even just to sum up a few things about the good news of Jesus, he loves you, God loves you, he's for you, he backs you, he's got a purpose for you. He's demonstrated what it looks like to live a life in all its fullness through Jesus Christ, so that as we follow Jesus, we can step into the fullness of life as well. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus lived to demonstrate the way of the kingdom, and then he died in order that we could inherit it. He gave his life to pay for all of the things in the world that were wrong as we confess before him. And as we trust in his price, the price that he's paid, 
we can rise to new life just as he did. We can experience that rising to life where death is no longer the end, but he invites us to this eternal relationship with him that will last forever into eternity, starting right now. Those are some of the things about the good news of Jesus. And that's what he proclaimed everywhere he went. He used words to do it and he used actions to do it. Some of us might be comfortable using words to talk good news. Some of us need to use actions as well. And, and, and God shows that through Jesus as he heals people. I wonder if you feel that's possible. I wonder if you think that that's even a possibility for you. You know, Paul encourages us in the New Testament to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. That's a, an ability perhaps to sense what God is saying, to hear maybe with words or pictures or scriptures or a sense of what's God doing in a certain space and what is it he wants to breathe in specifically there and then. We know we can discover the truth of who God is through his word and by his spirit. And Paul encourages us, be hungry for the prophetic. It's gonna help you minister the kingdom. Just a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, in fact, in one of our services, there was a prophetic word given. Somebody had a sense of a word for somebody and they pointed directly at a person who was sitting in a balcony whose name we found out was Daniel. Daniel was sitting in the balcony equivalent to over there and this word was given. The picture was that around him there was this kind of plant, there was this springtime going on, leaves coming out around him. And although we were going into winter, the sense was, it's a springtime for you. God's got a new plan for you. He's going to release and open a door for you. And, and it's, it's like a springtime of opportunity. You're walking into new things. And as, as, the picture, as the, this was spoken, the sense of this picture of a plant around him with leaves coming out. Now, we might think, well, that's just a very nice generic kind of springtime word. And that's the sort of thing. And we could just think that's a nice general thing. But it's incredible when we hear the stories back of these different words. Because that week I received an email via just the centralized HDB emails. Something, somebody sent something into the office and it was passed on to me. And it turned out that Daniel was in church. He hadn't really been attending church much through his university days. Had kind of struggled with the church thing and stepped back away from that little bit. And he just happened to be there that day because somebody had bought him and said, come to church before you go back off. He had just started a new job. He was in a new season. But what's incredible is that Daniel is a plant biologist. And so when he heard this word, he knew God was speaking to him. It's like, God, how can you know me that personally? Like, how could that be specifically picked out of hundreds of people in a church? I'm here for the first time in a long time and I get picked out and there's this plant that's growing around me and this new opportunity. What's more incredible is that the next morning he went back into his workspace with a fresh sense of, wow, God might just be in this. Rediscovering faith, rediscovering possibility for himself and one of his managers called him over and said, Daniel, um, I know you've only been here really briefly. We've only just started, but we've, all, we've had a conversation. And um, we wouldn't normally do this, but we actually wanted to say, would, would you consider, we want to make it possible for you and cover you to study a PhD to continue developing your plant biology. And that was something he had really wanted, but thought would come years later. And suddenly the springtime had come. Isn't that extraordinary? That's an amazing, like God's kingdom breaking out, bringing encouragement, bringing words of life. You carry those words of life. You can be filled with his spirit and facilitate his kingdom. Another service, just two weeks ago, there was another service and a young person was worshiping away just as we were this right now. And as they were worshiping away, they sensed God's spirit fall on them. They just had a sense, a feeling that God was close and present and he wants to be close and present to us even today. And as they sensed this, they felt God just healing them. 
They had been through a tough time last year and that had led to all kinds of struggles, including self-harm. And they had scars all down their, uh, their arms as a result. And as they were worshipping, they felt God meet with them and begin to move in them. And as they worshipped, they then looked down at their arms and the scars had all gone. This was a creative miracle that is extraordinary. When somebody else, another young person, heard about that story, they went into their school and told about this story of like, have you heard what's happened? Can you hear what, do you know what God can do? God did this to somebody in our church on Sunday. They began telling the story. And as they told the story, a few of the other young people who never normally come to church were like, that's really amazing. So they said, well, come, come and find out, come and see. So the next week, some of those friends came and they were stood right at the front of the 4.30 and I watched them as tears rolled down their eyes as they experienced something they'd never experienced before as they came into knowing something about God's kingdom. See, that's what happens when we begin to minister just as Jesus did. And his purpose is that we would all do that. And you may be sitting here thinking, I can't do that. I've never had a prophetic word like that. Or I I, I haven't got those stories of healing. But Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts. Eagerly desire. Jesus says, draw near to me. Because you know what? It was never about you anyway. It's about Jesus. You don't have to do it but you come to him and as you follow Jesus, he's gonna use you to do remarkable things that are beyond your wildest imagination. God wants to breathe life into you so that you become a kingdom carrier, proclaiming his good news and ministering in action everywhere you go. So that's it, we're a kingdom carrier. Secondly, at the beginning of our statement, it says a compassionate kingdom carrier, a compassionate one. And when we look at the verses, so we go on to verse 36 in Matthew chapter nine, It talks about how Jesus looks at people with compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd, he says. Why can Jesus say that? Well, because another claim of Jesus is that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And as we follow him, we discover the way, we discover truth, and we discover life. And so as he looked at people, there was this long aching in his heart. Like, if you'd follow me, I'll show you way, truth, and life. I'll show you the fullness of what's possible for you. I'll show you why you were made and what you're doing here. I'll talk to you about purpose and, and, and I'll lead you into fullness of life, eternal life with me. And so his heart was moved every time he saw people who hadn't yet made that decision to follow him. Every time. And his heart was moved in compassion. He didn't condemn. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't say, hey, you, you're not doing enough yet. Why aren't you doing this stuff? He came with compassion to those that hadn't yet found the way. Now that word compassion, its roots are from a word in Greek that literally means like sympathy. So there's this sympathetic approach from Jesus, this this understanding. Somebody treats you with sympathy, there's an understanding. And the word actually directly translated compassion comes from a Latin word, com and and, and the, the bit that's passion, essentially means with suffering. So to be in compassion with somebody is to be with them in their suffering, which is why Jesus came. God didn't consider himself way off and distant, but close and wants relationship with you. And so Jesus was born into this world to be with us in the midst of the mess. Things that we've done, things that have happened to us, things that have been put upon us even by other people. And he wanted to stand with us in the midst of it. His compassion made him Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. A word that we will hear over the next month as we celebrate Christmas. Emmanuel meaning God with us. So how do we become 
how do we operate as kingdom carriers? Not with condemnation, but with compassion. There's a way in which we need to be curious and caring and compassionate towards every single person we see, every person that we engage with. Whether they're following Jesus or not yet following, here's a dynamic of people. If you look at the line on the screen, that line represents a person. Okay, it could represent you, but it represents somebody maybe that you know. The first circle is what you know about that person. And so we all kind of get to know each other, we chat, we find things out, and I get to know some of you, you get to know some of me. Today you realise that I'm very competitive and you're trying to get through that right now. You know something about me. This second circle is what we think we know about other people. So often we're making all sorts of assessments and judgments about people, we're even listening to what they say and we're deciding who they are and what they're like. And it's what we think they are, but it's not necessarily what they actually are. Sometimes it's ambiguous. We think this person wants that, but actually they want this. And so it's this circle that often creates the conflict because we behave in one way, thinking that's what they want, and they don't want that at all, and so conflict happens. But this third circle is what we don't know at all. Each and every person is so beautifully, wonderfully made, so incredibly complex in the best possible way, layer after layer, experience after experience, things in their background that are celebrated and things that are tucked away. People that they've met that have made the mix of who they've become. And it's all there, but we don't yet know it. And then this final circle is what we don't even know about ourselves. Because if you're anything like me, I keep discovering things about my own motivations, who I am, what, what makes me tick, and why, why do I want to do certain things. And, and sometimes God's kind enough to whisper and say, hey, Pete, look at this. That's not great. And I think, oh God, thank you for showing me. I don't want to be like that. And sometimes he's like, look at this, there's some gold here. Bring it out. And I'm like, really? Can I step into that? Could I? Could I? And so we're on this constant journey of discovering who we are, but also a constant journey of discovering other people as well. And so we approach them with curiosity and kindness and compassion, just as Jesus approached them. And now this is really important as we hit the final phrase of our leadership impact statement, because we want to be compassionate kingdom carriers sent out to harvest. Now, when you hear the word sent out to harvest, you can almost sense the urgency. And I think there was an urgency in Jesus, as he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I think there's an urgency about that harvest. But we have to remember that in the urgency that we carry about the harvest, there's a practical way in which we go about it with compassion. We don't bash through people or, 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 or kind of just presume things of people and put things upon people. We are with people in the mix of their suffering. We're with people in the mix of who they are. We approach with a sense of that curiosity. That's how we go about bringing in the harvest. So we're sent out to harvest. Now, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've made that decision and said, you know what? I see in Jesus truth, life, the way, and I want to follow him. He's the one who's going to direct me and lead me safely through the gap in the wall and I'm not going to hit the wall if I follow him. As you follow Jesus, you're in a commissioned relationship. Because following him is not a passive thing. Following him is an active thing where we become like him. And Jesus' invitation to you is to become like him as you follow him. So what did Jesus do? He went out and multiplied the good news of the kingdom. He went out teaching and proclaiming, healing, delivering, miraculous things happening. And he says, come follow me, I'll teach you to do the same thing. The verse, the verse after the ones we just read, in chapter 10, verse 1 of, of, of Matthew 9, it says right then, after he's talked about the harvest, he sends his disciples out to go and do it. He says, go and make this stuff happen. Go and live this stuff out. This is for you. 
And so his desire for each and every one of us is to be a sent people, a people who carry the good news of the kingdom with compassion into every situation that we go to. Now, when I was 18, 17, 18, I did a summer job and uh, I needed to earn a little bit of money before the summer and, and this farmer needed some people to come and do the harvest. So, so I thought, that'd be amazing. Like, it's an outdoor job. I can enjoy the sunshine. How hard can it be? Let's go and do this thing. So he just said, I just need a week of your time. Give me seven days and it'll be done. We'll get the harvest in. I was like, great, okay, I'm there. And so I, I turned up in the farmyard, you know, get our briefing, kind of get, you know, this is what's going on. And off we go to do the harvest. Do you know what? On the first day, that, that was like the hardest job I have ever done in my life. Seriously, like the machines all working and some of them didn't work, which is part of the problem. And then we were stacking hay bales onto the back of the tractor in a particular way so they wouldn't fall off when they went on the road. And as I lifted each one, it would scratch my arms. And so slowly I got more and more scratched and sore as I was lifting these, these hay bales. And then all the dust from the hay was getting into my lungs. So I was coughing all the time and having to drink water every few seconds because it was just really hard. And then we'd get to the barn and have to, the, the machine that took the hay bales to the top of the barn had stopped working. So we had to lift up these hay bales to the top of the barn one after another in the heat of the day it was back-breaking work do you know what I was meant to do seven days I lasted three and I said I'm really sorry I just cannot come back tomorrow I haven't got it in me and of course he's disappointed because he's got a harvest to get in you know the harvest is not going to be easy it's not straightforward it's difficult it can be painful and back-breaking to be with compassion in people suffering with them it can be difficult and not straightforward when some things don't work that you want them to work. But it would have been no good if I'd turned up to that job and stood in the farmyard and just had a nice cup of tea and looked at the fields and gone, nice harvest, but I prefer the farmyard. Sometimes it can be a bit like that though, can't it? I think our church maybe is a bit like a farmyard. We need it. We need to come together and build family and encouragement and we come and get inspired. We make a plan. We, we work out what's next and we learn together. But then Jesus says, you've got to be sent into the harvest. You've got to be sent out. You've got to send us into this space. And the harvest isn't just in here. It's out there. We're church gathered and we're church dispersed. And so he wants to commission you into being sent into the harvest that is plentiful. Now, some of you, you're in business. Just raise your hand if you're business. Big business, small business, corporate, global, whatever it is. Raise your hand. There you are. There's a whole bunch of people who are doing business. Thank you so much for what you're doing. You're, you're causing economy to thrive. You're driving things. You're helping produce jobs. You're, you're developing things. And you're helping bring about social transformation. Some of you are really obvious and you've got clear purpose in doing that. And it's extraordinary. But you're not just in business. You're a compassionate kingdom carrier sent out to harvest. How that, how's that going to change your meeting tomorrow? How's it going to change your commute? How's it going to change when you have to make a plan with your team or when you have to engage with a, with a client or when you have to change, engage with a, a customer who's difficult? How's it going to change it? Some of you, you're in education or academia, you're studying or you're teaching or, or, or one, next time you walk into classroom, you're not just in education. You're a compassionate kingdom carrier sent out to harvest. Some of you, you're in the family and you're, you're growing, your focus is the family right now and you're, you're bringing up some children and you're establishing family and community and, and perhaps working in that area as well. Who knows? You're not just establishing the family, you are a compassionate kingdom carrier sent out to harvest. Some of you are in politics. Thank you. Thank you. You've got a big job on right now. But you're not just in politics. You are a compassionate, 
kingdom carriers sent out to harvest. That's what you do when you walk into your constituency or into Westminster, into a civil service job or whatever it is that you're doing. That's what you're carrying. That's what Jesus commissions you to. That's the purpose he's got over your life. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm a compassionate kingdom carrier sent out to harvest. Come on, with some enthusiasm, go for it. How will that change tomorrow? How will that change Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? It's gonna change it. And do you know what? If you really are that, if you really are gonna step into the purposes of Jesus that he came to call us to, to help others discover this great news as we usher in the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, as he does that, he won't have to declare anymore that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. But as we step into this, Jesus himself will declare over us the harvest is plentiful but the workers are many. You're a compassionate kingdom carrier sent out to harvest. Amen.